Hey guys, I'm here today with Ryan McKenzie from Canada. He runs a group called... What is your group name? I actually don't remember. So, uh, yeah, my company's name is My Passion Media. Um, and then we work with a bunch of other different companies as well. You've got one with a magazine name as well, isn't it? Yeah, so there's Canada-wide media as well, except for uh, our group works in conjunction with them. But yeah, so My Passion Media owns a bunch of different magazines, and then Canada-wide also owns a bunch of different magazines. Okay, got it. So what he does is he acquires distressed assets in the form of magazines and companies that are running a traditional business model, and he helps turn them around by utilizing those lists and really transferring them into a modern kind of business model. So super excited to hear how he does this and a little bit about the process and what he's how he got to that model in the first place. So Ryan, my man, how are you? I'm I'm fantastic. It's uh, it's late in the day here in Vancouver, but it's it's beautiful out. So um, I, I I cannot be any happier just to, to what's going to happen with the rest of the day after I get off this call. But I'm excited to be here and, and hang out with awesome. you a little bit before. The- so I think I've explained your business model in, in a broad sense, but could you give us a bit more clarity around what you guys do? Yeah. So this this kind of started about I guess. Four years ago, um, I used to be just completely traditional digital, not print. And we were very traditional ad focused um, business model again, using Google AdWords, sorry, Google AdSense, um, you know, all the different uh, traditional media buying methods prior to Facebook ads becoming into their glory as they are now. Um, anyways, we eventually. Uh, merged with a couple other companies, Explore being one. We still we still have that asset. Uh, Canadian Traveler being another one, and they were basically two magazines. They were doing they were all right. They were both low six figure magazines um, in terms of in terms of revenue. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, we basically built them into our platform. And you know, it was pretty apparent that advertising wasn't like advertising dollars weren't continuing to go to print. They weren't continuing to go. To, I mean, there's still tons of money going in towards Google, Google ads and display and stuff like that. But the 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 the, the CPMs that we were seeing back then and the, the price per page was starting to decline. So we uh, is we that in terms of being a publisher online? Just well, just being a publisher as a whole because okay. this is kind of like 2014. Uh, you know, that was when all this kind of started coming together. And that was kind of when Facebook ads kind of started going a little bit more mainstream. Like you started to see a lot of big, lot, lot of advertisers shift their budget from direct media buys to going more towards just playing with the big boys. Like there were people who have been already doing Google ads for a while, but a lot more, the Facebook platform was getting a lot better. And I mean, being in the industry, you could really see that shift taking place um and then and anyways that was kind of when we're like well you know what this business model is not going to be sustainable with the assets that we have unless we can um kind of move to something that that we're we're actually selling to these consumers so you know traditional magazine environment is you have your media which is like the voice and you have people that have products who basically who basically need the voice um and we still we still do sell to them. We're not we're not completely eliminating uh, servicing that 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 business. But we also supplementary kind of opposed pop- to the main business. Exactly. So we've just kind of been like, well, why are we why are we like in the middle here? Why don't we 
double end this deal? Like, why don't we be the peanut butter and the jelly? Like, let's. One thing I noticed about that, you've made a huge shift there. Most people that are in the business model don't make that shift. What about it? What about you guys made you different in consciously realizing that? Did you have people around you? Did you seek out counsel around it? Were you guys just looking at your numbers a lot? Yeah. So, I mean, there was like, we, we tried a lot of different things. We tried arbitrage, um, you know, buying traffic and, <clears throat> excuse me, and selling ads for more. There's a whole bunch of different things that we tried in the mean, in, in that kind of, in, in that timeline. And we, I, in the past, I've sold things like ringtone subscription services back in the mid 2000s um, and, and some other random things through like affiliate marketing and stuff like that. And, you know, those, the, the amount of traffic that you need to make revenue or make a significant revenue um, when you're selling something, especially if there's buyer intent, it's, you need a lot less traffic than you need to send, sell ads to people. So we, we started messing with that a little bit, but I kind of, it's funny, where I really started digging in was um, with Ryan Dice's Invisible Selling Machine. I know like a ton of people have read that. Um, and that was kind of like my first aggressive foray into into kind of like direct response stuff and i started doing a lot of digging and stuff like survival life um got it here and yeah it's a fantastic book. good book I, I email marketing it. stuff really good definitely recommend it um you know i started modeling a little bit of things after survival life but then probably maybe probably six months after kind of transitioning to that business model the, the problem started popping up for us. It was like, okay, well, in order to make this sustainable, we always have to be making new offers and always selling people new things. And we need these repeat customers. And initially, we were actually drop shipping a lot of things, which is a terrible customer experience. Like, it fucking sucks. Um, the people, you know, like people, sometimes people were waiting two months to get their product. Um, you just do not build a sustainable business when you can go and get the same product for probably the same price on Amazon and get it overnight. Um, so it was kind of around then where we started pivoting towards uh, creating subscription boxes. Um, and we've, we've got a bunch, like Explorer's got the Live the Adventure Club box. This is uh, one of our beauty boxes. Here's one of our, our what's, boxes. What's in a typical box there? So I'll stick with like the adventure stuff. Like the adventure stuff, um, what's really cool about the Explorers model is it's more than just a box of stuff. So you get basically each box is themed and you get 150 to $200 worth of stuff in every box. And it costs you $97, including shepherd, um, which is great. Lots of people love it. It's a good gimmick. You're getting basically 50% off a bunch of cool stuff. It's going to come, come to your door. It's going to seem like Christmas. And that's awesome. Except for when most people get some of like a lot of this stuff and it shows up at their door, they open it up really cool oh yeah i'll use this one day i'm gonna put this on the shelf we'll get back to it in a little bit they never touch it it rots they might stay on for like one one season maybe two season if they forget to like cancel their their subscription but the problem is is that people aren't using this stuff and if people aren't using the stuff it's not doesn't really we're not impacting yeah we're not impacting people's lives and that's you know i think for people that want to get into subscription boxes or business as a whole if you can if you can actually positively impact people's lives, your attrition rate goes down significantly. So what we do to do this is, so after you get your box, what we also give you, inside the box, we give you a challenge sheet 
we have a private community and every single challenge. So there's a, the challenge sheet has, that's the quarterly challenge. And we have like usually like a 500 to $1,000 prize for participating and finishing that challenge. But the idea is the stuff that we got you, we were, we sent you isn't just a bunch of stuff that we want you to throw away or gift or whatever. We want you to go out there and use it and you're going to demonstrate it and you're going to prove that you used it. And we're actually inspiring you to actually get out and start doing living a more adventurous life. On top of that, we couple weekly challenges, monthly challenges, and an annual challenge. Uh, the annual challenge is like a really, really big um, prize. But the idea is like I don't know how familiar you are with like the the, the uh, science of accountability, but uh, I don't remember the enforcement. Yeah, top of, yeah, that, like. You know, if you say you're going to do something, there's something like a 10% chance you're actually going to do it. If you tell somebody else, that might go up to like like 60%. And if you join an accountability group, that number hits like 90%. And then when you, this part isn't, there's no science on this part, but we've kind of added it, is that if you add an external reward for your behavior, that number should go up even more. So um, as a result of doing this stuff, I'm sorry, I'll just let me finish this and then I'll, I'll get yeah, back to you. Uh, um, what happens is, is our attrition rate is so low. Like we're under five percent attrition on the Explore box. So I mean, there's some people whose credit cards balance or whatever, and that's kind of that's natural. But like combined with with that, we're under ten percent. That's inclusive of people's credit cards bouncing. So our, our actual people, the amount of people that actually cancel is under five percent, and we're under ten percent when you account for people whose credit cards just bounced. That's incredible. I think most what what's typical industry standard for a subscription box attrition? I, I don't even know because we have this, this is our model that we've always yeah. done. Um, I don't know what other people are seeing. Like our worst box that we ever had, um, and it wasn't it wasn't um, one of the adventure boxes, but our worst box, um, I think our attrition rate was sixteen or seventeen percent, and that's our worst box. So that's even a good number. Like if you were to talk to most people, like the the people that I've had conversations with are kind of like, oh my God, what are you guys doing? And I know a lot of people, the way that they look to scale their subscription boxes is by selling larger periods of time up front. I think you guys are just keeping them on. Do you do that as well? Yeah, I mean, we do both. We do that as well. You can, you can subscribe for a year um, and you get, you save maybe 5% extra or something like that. But yeah, I mean, our key ingredient is um, kind of the intangible value that we provide um, our, our, our family members or tribe members once they are on board. So this is like these boxes, they're, they're, they're almost more like a tripwire, right? Like in the, in, the, in the whole like digital marketer uh, yeah. scheme of things because they're just kind of getting you into our ecosystem where once you're there, you you don't want to leave. Like that's just kind of getting you in the door. And then there's upsells and stuff all over the place too. Yeah. Um, like you know, reduced price, reduced discounts, and all sorts of things. But um, yeah, so that's that's that's, that's kind cool. of it. And, so yeah. I guess for say like makeup box subscription, you'd get people to t- try a look at and post those pictures up. Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah. So like, yeah, there's less of a challenge aspect to that box but we have like ongoing contests where like show us using this product or this product and 
that benefits two, two things. It gives us a lot of user-generated content that we can recycle in, in, other, uh, in other parts of our marketing, but it's also a really huge value add for any of the products that we feature in the box. So um, the, a lot of the products that are in the box, companies either, either pay us to, to be featured or we get the products at, at, a, at a very, very like landed cost basically. So for them, um, okay. what we do with our community gives them a lot of added benefit because they get all this user generated content as well around their brand. Okay, so that's really how you bring down costs on the, the product to send to people. One of the issues one of my clients have who were trying to set up the box in their business is the cost of goods with the fluctuations yeah. that's where there is like i'm not sure how to make this work consistently yeah you pretty much you either need to i mean depending on what industry it's in like you either need to have a manufacturing background um and you need to be large enough size that you can actually um be able to manufacture the volumes because lots of people won't touch like a 500 item order on anything a la carte or the other thing is you need to be uh, have a strong enough brand. And this is one of the reasons why magazines are really great because they usually have a sales team behind them. So we repurpose one of the sales guys into uh, working with the existing brands that they have relationships with. And then we, ne- we negotiate the, the products at a landed cost or at a cost like um, where they pay us to be in the box, to get marketing, to, you know, get a maybe a coupon code in the box, which also uh, comes across as an added benefit to uh, the consumer, um, as well as like we can give them a page in the magazine. We can give them run of site ads on the digital uh, digital component, like on the website. Um, we can do like social media shoutouts. We can do a contest within our like. There's there's a lot of benefits as an advertiser um, when it's tied to the magazine because a lot of that. Um, that um, uh, architecture, yeah, brand arbitrage, and already existing sales ecosystem, etc. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's, it is. It's more. It's a lot more complicated than I think people initially think when they want to get into a subscription box. You know, I think they struggle initially. I know it can make sense, especially when they've got fixed costs. They can sell it for more than they're doing, but when they're doing different kind of boxes with different products. I think that's where it starts to get a little bit messier. Yeah. I mean, the, the, other, the other thing you can do is look to products that have um, huge, huge margins, like uh, makeup has huge margins, uh, um, any sort of like beauty product, uh, like ingestible supplements, all those things tend to have like anywhere from like five to 10 X um, markups. Right. But I mean, those 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 oceans tend to be a little bit more red than uh, than than some of the other markets, you know. Okay, how do you find opportunities? So you, I know you started acquiring magazines. Did that how did that come into your radar? Are you having people source these for you? I would love to say it was me, um, but it's not. One of my partners, um, Brad Liskey, he um, he's a phenomenal sales uh, sales guy as a whole. Um, but he, uh, you know, there's a few magazines that we've acquired over the years, like where the government's put out an RFP. They, they, their costs to produce the magazine have risen to the point where it's not profitable for them. But government running a magazine and a company that runs a number of magazines, there's a lot of there's a lot of fixed costs and a lot of overhead that you can eliminate. 
Um, so like RFPs are one. I mean, if you have a brand and, um, you know, there's a, there is a magazine out there that, um, that fits your brand and you're interested in it. Um, you know, it doesn't hurt to try to start a dialogue with whoever the owner is because if they aren't doing much in the digital space, I would say, especially if they're not really big, like if they're in that like 10,000 or like 5,000 to 50,000 or 5,000 to 25,000 um, subscriber mark, I mean, you, you got to be careful because you don't want something that's got a ton of subscribers because if they have long-term um, subscriptions, you, you don't want those liabilities because those are, that's considered um, uh, deferred revenue that, that it's already been realized and you're responsible for delivering the yeah. deliverables still, right? So like you don't want to go too big, but I mean, you go in that 5,000 to 25,000 subscribers. Oh, so people who already got paid product subscribers? Not just- Well, no, mag, mag, the magazine subscribers. Okay. So like, like, I mean, you want enough, you want enough of an audience that, um, that there would be demand from advertisers that you'd be able to help make an impact yeah. on their business. Um, but you don't, you don't want them too big where you're on the hook for way too much money in the future of magazines. Or, you know, the other thing is you could maybe look for magazines that only have one year subscriptions because they're kind of already on the edge. But, you know, but anyways, my point is that if you look for smaller magazines, smaller niche magazines that have enough of a presence that give you that respect and authority, um, a lot of times the people that are running them have been so close to the problem for so long that they do not see a solution. And they do not want to go out as the guy that like drove the plane into the ground, they would rather get out um, at. They would rather get out without having to um, fire employees or go bankrupt or all those things. And if they have any of that fear in their mind, it's just kind of like it's kind of like any offer. When somebody's in pain, it's pretty easy to to, yeah. to offer the solution that they're going to take. And a lot of times, that can be like an earnout. That could be. You know, sometimes they will just give up the asset um, to eliminate the liability that they feel that they won't be able to overcome. I mean, it's on you and what you do with the employees and stuff afterwards. I would obviously suggest being um, not just going and like chopping down trees and, and you know, they're real people that work for these real companies. But, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of assets out there that that um, that are at a discount right now. But with that said, you have to have some idea what you're doing going in there because there are risks associated with taking over a magazine. Like if you don't have kind of a system in place, you, you could just get stuck having to foot those uh, printing bills for the next year, which- Major liability if you don't know how to monetize that, yeah. there, which is why, why they're trying to get rid of it in the first place. Exactly. Cool, very cool. What's your journey been to get to this point? So I know you've, you said four years ago you kind of started shifting from where you were before, but how did you get into entrepreneurship business in the first place? Well, I'm, I'm like an old man in this like internet marketing space. I'm uh, I'm 37, um, and I've been doing this since like the late 90s. So, um, uh, like my dad started 94. Yeah. 96 is when I started like making 95, 96 is when I started making websites. Maybe yeah, 95. I think yeah. it was my dad. Same was really around for a year at that point. Yeah. Yeah. You were, you were pretty young. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. So yeah, I got into it then started making websites, started looking to make money off it pretty quickly. Um, early two thousands, I had this uh, website that had like, um, 
funny videos and jokes and stuff like that. Made a bit of money, and then mid two thousands got into ringtone subscription service, uh, oh. and then that collapsed. Sorry, you had a website that did jokes and funny stuff, and it made a bit of money. What do you mean by made money? Is that AdSense or? So it had AdSense. We did like back in the day, like in the like two thousand one. I had like half a million subscribers on my email list there, and their advertising.com used to have like email ads that you can put inside your email, and they would pay anywhere from like ten cents to like two bucks a click. <laughs> and I had like I had like this half a million list, and uh, Kevin, uh, he was my business partner then. He's still one of my business partners now. We uh, Claritin. This was like the biggest ad I ever had back in the day. Claritin put up an ad. It was two bucks a click, and so we put this right at the top of our newsletter, and it had like a couple jokes and a couple funny. Me, I guess they were like kind of like memes back then, but they were just like comics or whatever. And uh, we had so many clicks. Advertising.com had to like call us and be like, "Are you are you are you doing fraudulent stuff here?" Because the tracking back then was really basic, right? Yeah. Um, but we, I mean, we, I, I don't remember how much we pulled, but that was like that was the first time we were like looking at like I mean, we didn't have a phone, but we were like looking at the stats and like, holy shit! Like refresh, 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 refresh. <laughs> Uh, I think we wound up burning out like Clareton's entire budget on advertising.com at the time. But yeah, that was that was. Uh, but email lists were super expensive back then too because there wasn't a lot of software. Um, okay, ninety four. You said you're thirty seven now. Are you what early twenties? I'm I'm thirty seven. So that would no yeah it would have been not ninety four ninety four. I was like thirteen. Sorry, ninety five. This would have been like two thousand one ish when when this was kind of like the the when okay. I started making money. Anyways. So 20, 20-ish. 20-ish, okay. That's fairly significant at that age. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it was crazy. We were doing, we were, I mean, I still had a job and everything like that. And it was a one-off campaign that, that really was a home run. But the the rates the rates did kind of like what a lot of things do in the, you know, in the advertising space. Like, they get really popular for a bit and they get really expensive, kind of like what Facebook's going through right now. And then all of a sudden, some insane amount of inventory comes back and people can't, like a recessional hit and people stop spending money and then there's overabundant inventory and we couldn't make ends meet with that, so we wound up shutting down that list. Um, but yeah, that was that was kind of, that was the beginning. And the first, our first foray kind of into like uh, monthly recurring revenue was in the ringtone subscription world. We had, a, we had a ringtone subscription business. So you've been working with the same part, the same guy since 2000, basically. 2000, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we, I think when we were even kids, we were trying to make money. We were like selling bracelets and Kool-Aid and anything that we could try to sell on the <laughs> side of the road. So the journey the journey has been long, man. <laughs> okay, you said you were studying at the time? Do you go through a traditional education route or? Yeah, I, uh, I went to college um, for four years. And I have nothing to show for it. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I actually, the, the, the last year that I was in college, uh, I was registered for all my courses or whatever. Um, and I, 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 I literally didn't pay on the day that you had to pay by, and I got deregistered. So I thought I would take a semester off, and I got a job working in tech, um, in business intelligence. Kind of like what you're you're super into now, right? Um, I was in business intelligence for a couple of years, and then I read like Rich Dad Poor Dad or something like that. And we always had all these little businesses going in the background; they weren't massive. But I'm like, I was finally like at this point, I'm like, fuck it. I'm like, this is what I want to do. Like, why am I sitting in this job? Like, this job I could probably make a hundred grand or something like that. But like, is this really? This isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life. Let's let's go all in and 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 do it. So. Uh, 
I took the plunge, and that was around 2000, 2006. And I've had it. Uh, in 2006, I've had it, I've had to get a job a couple of times after that when when things went south. But I, as you do, as you do, you I mean you have to. If everything tanks, yeah. you know, you get a spot. Um, but uh, yeah, I went up. I actually went, went up, after the ringtone thing tanked. I went up working at a cell phone. Um, cell phone company selling cell phones because I'm like I didn't know what else to do and I actually decided to use that opportunity to really learn how to sell so that worked out pretty much all the people I know that have been any good at copying any good at any kind of business have done sales at some point whether for themselves or for as an employee it's the best learning I know of 100% I agree okay so going from there you said you did the ringtone thing got another sales job I'm sure yeah, and this is so where you start to learn that, a bit yeah, more about the business end because you've put some very specific facts there, inventory stuff. Did you have that knowledge at the time or was it more irrespective that you started to understand what happened? I, I mean, I, I've taken like two business courses. Everything else is just, I read a lot, obviously, like everybody in our space tends to do. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's just been experience and reading for the most part, but um, yeah, so back to the story. So yeah, while I was while I was selling cell phones, we had built this platform. It was kind of like I don't know if you remember like Squidoo. It was Seth Godin's like crowdsourced platform for content. I had hub hub uh, hub pages, not HubSpot. Hub pages wound up buying it, and yeah. basically they shared revenue. They shared, yeah, they shared revenue with users. So we built something like that. It got really big. We had about um, we had about thirty million visitors a month. And then the panda penguin, the Google panda penguin slap came around and just, um, you know, it devastated that business. Like it's still around yeah. the, the platform, but it's not what it used to be. Um, and so there was a lot of like sleeping, sleepless nights after that because that was, so the ringtone thing was huge. It was like six figures a month and then it got all taken away from us. So we built this, this revenue sharing platform from scratch. I was working selling cell phones. We were finally at a point where we were making decent money. I thought I was going to leave, and then boom, crashed again. And, you know, it was crashing. It was only making like 10 grand a month, which wasn't enough for two people. There's only two of us running it. Um, and then that merger opportunity came along. And I was like, like, I was so ready. I mean, honestly, that was the closest I'd ever been to packing it in on, like, as an entrepreneur. I was just like, 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 look at my hair color. It's freaking great. <laughs> but, um, like I was so stressed. It was like, I can't even explain how stressful that can be. And so like defeating, like getting success, losing success, getting success, losing success. And like one thing that I've noticed in my, in the past is that, um, all my successes were really predicated on one thing. And so as a result of that, I couldn't transfer that over to something else afterwards. So I'd almost have to learn an entire new skill. And, I'm finally at a spot now where I feel like I don't think that would ever happen to me again. I don't think I would have to go get another job, not because any of my projects are better or uh, have more longevity than the things before, but because of the, thing, the skills that I possess, I could go and I, I I could create value for people on demand at any given point. Like I could go and help do sales for people, or I could teach people things, or you you know what I mean. So, yeah, you've got a diversified um, skill set that allows you. Well, excuse protection. You've got such a, such a high value in your own identity that it doesn't matter what happens. You always know that you can create value in business yeah. or something. So yeah. So anyways, that kind of led that, that merger led to this stuff. Um, 
we wound up buying another really big magazine. Probably it's been probably one of the biggest magazines in British Columbia, which is a province in Canada where Vancouver is. Um, and then we had a bit of a the, a relationship with their partners there didn't wind up working out. So we, we, we went different ways. They took that magazine and, and we went ahead and that's when, after that split up happened is when they just wanted to focus more on the traditional print and we wanted to focus on all the other things. That's when we really had the opportunity to start flourishing, um, within our own, like kind of that little realm that, that we've kind of put together. So, and that's, that kind of leads us to, to where we are today, which is, uh, we have over 10,000, um, 10,000 premium subscription box um, subscribers. That's Is like people basically paying. Yep, different boxes right. or? Yeah, well, there's four different boxes. Um, and we also have, because of like the adventure stuff um, worked out so well, some people just didn't want the stuff. They just wanted the motivation. So we have a club for that as well. Um, that's like 10 bucks a month. And that's, we just launched that a few months ago. I, I don't have the attrition rates and stuff like that. So, so I haven't scaled it per se, but that's about, got about 500 members. And then we got a few other little, like, like little clicky, small, um, monthly recurring revenue things as well that kind of, that are all kind of self-sustaining with experts and stuff like that. But, um, I mean, the one thing, the one thing that, you know, especially kind of in all the circles that, that I'm sure both you and I run in is like, it's really shiny to be an expert. Everybody kind of wants to be, everybody kind of wants to be a guru or like their ego wants to be known as something in that space. And the one thing that I've kind of noticed, um, and is kind of, it's a little bit hard on, on my ego is that I have a lot more leverage when I'm not selling myself, when I'm not selling, when I'm not selling like education and marketing or, um, you know, creating a program or something like that. I have a lot more leverage when I can take another expert and I can drop them into my systems and I can create an audience that's based on their skill set. Like I set that up and I walk away and I give that to somebody else to maintain and I go and I find another expert and I do that. But if I'm the person, like if you're you know, stuck having to deliver content or whatever, it's it's crazy. Like it's you only have so much time, right? Um, and it's I've tried doing it a little bit. Like I have a little mastermind, but I, I have not been promoting it because. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of work to be the person that creates the content. I think in that sense, it's more a passion project, and it's where your priorities lie. I think a lot of people would love to just focus on creating content. I think you tend to prefer creating the business. That's true. That that that's true too. Um, I think my ego would love to be in that like, and yeah, being to, totally self totally self aware of myself. Like I know that my ego would like to be that guy. Because I, you know, who doesn't like that attention? Um, but when I'm actually in the midst of doing it, I'm like, ego, you're stupid, man. You don't even like doing this stuff. This is like you have, you, you could be doing other things that gives you leverage, and you actually enjoy doing more. But there's it's just like that internal battle, and I know I know not everybody probably has that, but there, it's it's crazy how. If there's something I've noticed about you. You've got an incredible amount of self awareness. Where would you say that's come from? Um. You know, I mean, a little bit of meditating, a little bit of, like, a lot of reading. I mean, reading really, really helps. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't, I couldn't give you, like, a, a real solid answer. I just, I'm, I like to think. Um, I'm, I'm pretty extroverted, but I also really enjoy, like, my drive home from work where I'm, like, I'm, I'm just thinking, thinking through things or, like, you know, even analyzing my behavior in certain situations. 
afterwards, like whether it was good or bad or whether I could have done something differently or um, when I get angry about, this is something actually, I'm, I'm totally tangent here, but like um, in situations where I get upset about something, um, and I can't remember what book I learned this from, but like trying to think about how I can take responsibility for the outcome and like what I could have done differently like even if it's somebody else is the one that went off the handle or did something wrong or offended me, like you know, it's you know, it's my responsibility with how to to deal with that reaction. And I like to think of like what 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 could I have done differently in that particular situation to start out with, where I could have elicited a different response from that person. Um, so kind of just taking like um, responsibility for how you behave and how you react and how you how how you even think about situations after they've occurred has been something I think you know I'm still, I'm not I'm far from from uh, perfect in any in any capacity um, you got some awareness around that allows you an extra tool yeah. in the toolbox per yeah. se but yeah just like the ability to recognize that and be be okay with knowing that you know there's always an opportunity to improve and there's always you always have some control over how things play out even even if it's not your fault you know taking that onus allows you to shape your world better yeah yeah totally did you ever did you ever read the subtle art of not giving a fuck i'm trying to look in the back of your books there i don't have it there but i've got it as a yeah i think I might I might have stolen some of that from there. I can't remember, but it's, it's different. Remember. Ver- there's variances of that throughout many books. I think it's part stoic, part a lot of content has that underlying thing. Um, right, there's one I'm reading at the moment. Uh, what is it called? You can't teach a kid to ride a bike at a seminar. It's a very good sales book, but it's a lot of personal development in it, like identity kind of stuff. So on that note, actually, I think sales is something that seems to be going through here. You've talked a lot about a lot of elements to sales going on with your business, media buying, um, selling directly to the publishers and those relationships. Do you do media buying yourself? Do you have someone doing it for, for you in the team? Have you, has that transition worked? Yeah, so I mean, I've done both ways. Like right now, um, I did have, so I've been running Facebook ads like, for probably four or five years, pretty heavily, um, couple, at least a couple million dollars. Um, but I, I tried passing off one of the boxes to an agency. They did, they did a great job, but the problem that I found is that when you have as many products as I have and you're constantly creating new offers, it's very difficult for agencies to be able to, like they wanna service all of the products for, for the brand that you're working with, right? It's really hard for them to have the intimacy with the brand um, to the point that they can create creatives that um, that are have continuity between your other creatives and your other, you know, it, I, I guess at the end of the day, like the, the, again, the, the company that, worked, yeah. that was working with us did a great job um, they found some pretty interesting uh, angles that I never thought of before, but there, when you're working with an agency, it is slower. Um, so one one thing we're working on right now for Facebook ads, I built a framework um, that's that's pretty universal, um, so I can have different 
people on the team just plug their particular pieces into the right spot and it's kind of plug and play. Um, but we, we are still using an agency for Google. Um, it's, um, I'm actually using uh, Brett Curry. I don't know if you know who Brett Curry is, but OMG Commerce, they're going to be doing our YouTube ads. Um, and we're going to try to see if we can crack that nut. Um, but again, that's again, it's pretty focused that we're just doing the subscription boxes and with one of the boxes. And it's not something that we're doing right now anyway. So I think uh, that's, I think, I think there's definitely a place for agencies. I just think it depends. Like my model is so big and there's so many things. It's hard to, to, to I make think it all things going on. You guys move fast. So it makes sense to bring that internal or at least bring experts in to work on a specific aspect of the business. On that note, uh, creatives. We know, especially in e-commerce, creatives are huge in getting the product to sell. How do you guys go about that process in taking photos and getting the videography, all those bits and pieces? Yeah, so I mean, subscription boxes are different from e-commerce. Like, like I was on the call with Facebook actually before I before I was on the call with you here, and they were kind of talking about the same kind of thing. Like, they're kind of giving me like e-commerce examples. And the thing about these boxes is they don't, people don't know what's inside the box until they get it. It's a surprise. So you, you can't be like, you know, like in e-commerce, like, is this open? In e-commerce, you might be like, you might like take like this cream and you might like squirt it on your hands and like do a zoom in and show how beautiful our skin is or whatever it is. You show it in action. But with this, um, since we're not revealing the stuff, we it's it's kind of like... So you, know, you show a demo box kind of, or is it purely... It's, it's, well, we'll have, like, we'll have pic, pic, pictures of products or people with the products or people with the box. Um, and we'll just use, we'll use like, you know, a very Perry Belcher style, um, like, like national, national Enquirer type grabbers. So the, the goal of the Facebook ad for us, I mean, we have different layers and there's like unboxing videos and there's awareness. And there's all sorts of different stuff, but like on a very top level, like awareness level, typically it will be like a, like a really catchy headline to get them from Facebook to our landing page where they can consume more information about it. Um, we have our, our, our KPIs for the numbers that they have to hit. Uh, those awareness ads need to hit to be profitable. And then, you know, everything else kind of comes down to like the retargeting layer, their engagement layer and our promotion layers, our warm audiences. But yeah, like that first, the first hit um, isn't like e-commerce. It's not like a product example it's like a bunch of you know it's either like showing people really excited with the products or it's um it's you know just a bunch of really nice stuff and a grabber like you know finally a canadian finally a canadian subscription box just for women or you know like just yeah. like just the, the, there's very little information delivered and ad it's just basically conduit to get them to uh the sales page that's cool that's very cool yeah it's just different, right? It's a, because of like the fact the how, how product. yeah, you go through new products every three months. It's really hard to go and create you can't a take whole the bonus, but it does. You do have the overall kind of imagery in the beginning that allows you to sell those products as a yeah. box, I guess. Yeah, and to kind of get back to that question, we what we'll do is we have a process after a box has been delivered. We have like a certain amount of days that we wait until we'll do like a reveal. And we'll we'll have like an unboxing video. We'll serve that to our warm audiences, um, and then we'll like we'll have, take like however many. Say there's eight items in a box. We'll take like maybe three. Oh, so we'll you you got to process every month to send to your warm audience as well 
for content? Yeah, so the, I mean, we have we have uh, the magazine, so all that content is keeping kind of us top of mind. Um, but like, we'll have like like in this box, for instance, there's this like hand cream, and there's like this uh, anti aging serum, and we'll like we'll we'll create like a photo shoot with with this kind of in the front with all the other products in the back, and then we can set that up as one ad, and then the next one because you never know which product is going to be the product that puts somebody over like, oh, I really need an anti aging serum to you know i might as well try that box because it's got that in there and it's full size that's like 90 bucks by itself like why wouldn't i buy if i want that product it would be stupid of me not to buy this box because it's cheaper to buy the box than it is to buy the product itself and you get a heap of bonus stuff yeah yeah like i mean there's tons of like i mean this box has got tons of stuff in it but so like that's kind of from an ad standpoint it's very it's very much fits inside of a framework so that i don't need complex media buying techniques to to and I mean, let's be honest, like the complex stuff is like, are the things that, that aren't going to last forever. Like, like I mean, I, I had an ad today that was like, um, something about along the lines of like comment below if uh, you want to know more information about something and Facebook's flagging anything with call to actions for engagement now. And they basically scrap my engagement. So like, I mean, that's a tactic that worked great for building like a mini chat list or all sorts of other different things in the past. And that's, well, that's off the table. And if, if you're, if you're, if your business is predicated on tactics that are kind of built on loopholes, you're not you're not really building a business that's that's going to stand the test of time, right? That's a solid one there. I think that's just ending for you on that note. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big point, though. Like, I think your whole business model is built on longevity. Guess my question: How would you guys be affected by economic kind of factors where people do start to cut down on discretionary spend do you have any thing in place to protect yourself from that are you diversifying yet to yeah seen? so I, yeah I, got, I mean we are diversifying like there's a lot of little things that we're doing um kind of cross cells and and but you know when when i mean when 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 people stop spending money they stop spending money like it's I'm hoping that it doesn't impact us that badly, but I mean, it's, I, I don't really have an, an exact safety net in place. Um, but with that said, at the same time, like in, in the past recession periods, like I, outside of the ad spend, I don't think I've been in markets that have been too heavily affected. And um, lucky for me, I'm also primarily in Canada, um, which, we don't, especially where I live in Vancouver, it doesn't seem to quite hit as hard as it does across the United States. I'm not sure what rural Canada is like because they probably they probably get screwed. But uh, you know, my lens is kind of from my experience. Yeah, here in Vancouver, and uh, yeah, it's never been that impactful to me. But um, so maybe I'm ignorant, um, and maybe next time we have this call, I'll be asking you for a job. <laughs> No, I, think, um, I guess my question is: Do you are you other outside the businesses? Do you invest in other ways? Do you look at stocks and that kind of stuff? Yes, definitely. Like I, I'm, I, uh, I do a lot of. Uh, I'm personally spend a lot of my my money, my discretionary earnings on um, personal earnings on uh, uh, in the stock market, like um, stock, you know, right stock, real estate, whatever it is that whatever vehicle yeah. you're looking at. I, 
I have real estate too. The real estate here is here in Vancouver is like it's not it's not something that it's pretty complicated to get. Uh, Your market's bad. Yeah, it's it's bad. But um, yeah, like a stock market, like I, you know, a lot of ETFs and index funds and stuff like that. Um, a lot of bonds lately because I, I get a feeling that things are going to go going to go a little haywire in the near future. But a little bit of gold. Alright, that's cool. Very cool. Makes sense the way you're doing things. Um, if people do want to, actually, one thing that you said, mention about these processes you use. Do you teach them anywhere, or would you be willing to teach people? Yeah, you know, I've had people ask me that quite a bit, um, and I always consider it. Like, I have, I guess, I have a little mastermind. It's kind of small. It's um, it's got all of Justin Brooks' uh, media buying courses in it. I've licensed them from him. Um, yeah, yeah, we, I have that, um, but like I said, I'm not, I'm not actively, I'm not actively going selling it, and anybody that would want to participate would have to be kind of a good fit. But yeah, they, people can always reach out to me. Um, but I'm not like uh, uh, that's not you're kind not of the my, expert, my obviously. Thing. Not positioning yourself yeah. as expert. It's just you've got yeah, to and, yeah. It's just it's. Uh, I just haven't had the time to to put something together that I thought would be comprehensive enough to to sell i think a better question is if you were to accept anyone into that who would they what kind of person would they need to be if they need to be existing businesses or just a vibe or was it you're looking for yeah yeah i mean primarily like e-commerce businesses or people that have um people that have some sort of like uh, people that either want to get involved with monthly recurring revenue or um but yeah like i I'm cool with like e-commerce people, um, mainly because there's very, you know, media buying and e-commerce go hand in hand. I'm I'm also in other, excuse me, I'm in other masterminds inside e-commerce, so I've got I've got lots of kind of like a flow of new information always coming to me. But yeah, e-commerce is a good fit. Like service-based people, not not so much, but people that want to sell products or or uh, sell something on, a, on an ongoing basis, that's kind of my jam. Cool, cool. And where is the best place for people to connect with you? Uh, Facebook's probably the best. Um, you can find me at facebook.com slash the Rye, R-Y-E-A, McKenzie, M-C-K-E-N-Z or Z if you're in the U.S., I-E. Um, I think I'm on Twitter, I'm Rye McKenzie, R-Y-E-M-C-K-E-N, Z-I-E, or you can look me up on Facebook and try to find my personal account, but there's probably 100,000 Ryan McKenzie's. Well, there you have it, guys. That was Ryan McKenzie from Canada, talking about subscription models and how to scale his own businesses. Till next time, we'll see you all on the next episode. Thanks, man.